Well, a man went on vacation to the Middle East, to the land of Israel, with most of his family, including his mother-in-law. During their vacation, while they were visiting Jerusalem, this man's mother-in-law died. With the death certificate in his hand, John went to the American consulate to make arrangements to send the body back to the States for a proper burial. The consulate, after hearing of the death of the mother-in-law, told this man that sending a body back to the States for burial was very, very expensive. It could cost as much as $5,000, he was told. And in most cases, the people responsible for the remains of their loved ones would decide to bury the body in Israel, which would only cost 150 bucks. This man thought for some time and answered, you know what? I don't care how much it'll cost to send this body back. That's what I want to do. And the consul, after hearing this man's reply, said, You must have loved your mother-in-law very, very much, considering the difference in price. No, it's not that, said the man. You see, I know of a case many years ago of a person who was buried here in Jerusalem. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And I just can't take that chance. (laughs) And so I want to talk to you today about that case many, many years ago. Of a man who was buried in the ground in Jerusalem, but on the third day he rose from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is the load-bearing pillar of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ that is more than a genre of music. And today we'll briefly discuss that yes, the resurrection really happened. And yes, it really is relevant for today carrying with it astronomical implications. Did it really happen? The resurrection of the Christ after his suffering was foretold thousands of years before his day by the prophets and later regularly declared by the lips of Jesus himself. Despite this concept, it was completely unregistered in the minds of his disciples. Three days after the crucifixion, Jesus did as he said he would. Conquering the grave, he put to death the doubts of his followers by showing himself to be alive through the leaving behind of an empty tomb, appearing on 13 separate occasions to the disciples. The disciples saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, to Peter, to the two on the road to Emmaus, to 10 of the disciples, to all 11 disciples, to seven disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, to 500 followers, to James, to the 11 at the Ascension. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days. Luke was a physician, the writer of Acts, and he uses interesting terms here, infallible proofs. It speaks of a sure or fixed sign, an evidence or proof as opposed to superstition. Jesus was seen by Stephen. He was seen by Paul. He was seen by John. And in in an account that was written at the time that eyewitnesses were still alive, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen by Cephas or Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Jesus confirmed that it was himself alive in the flesh through many signs and wonders, proof experiences, personal encounters, physical contact, traveling, drinking, eating fish and honeycomb, both touching and being touched, being handled, showing that he wasn't a ghost, but that he had flesh and bones, as Luke 24 tells us. Benjamin Warfield, also known as B.B. Warfield, a Yale professor, says this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. Brooke Foss Westcott, an English scholar, says, taking all the evidences together, it's not too much to say that there is no historical incident better or more voraciously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who wrote the volumes of law used in our nation today, a royal professor of law at Harvard University, was one of the greatest legal minds that ever lived. He put Harvard on the map. He wrote a famous legal treatise volume entitled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence, considered by many the greatest legal volume ever written. And Dr. Simon Greeley believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an absolute hoax. He determined once and for all to expose the myth, the legend of the resurrection. After thoroughly examining the evidence for the resurrection, Dr. Greenleaf came to the exact opposite conclusion. And he wrote a book entitled, An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice, in which he emphatically stated, it was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths that they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. Greenleaf concluded that according to the jurisdiction of legal evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the best supported event in all of history. No wonder then, in view of the combined evidences of the empty tomb, the numerous appearances, the changed lives of the disciples, the authenticity of the records, not to mention the testimony of 2,000 years of Christian history, that such a man as Thomas Arnold, former professor of history at Rugby in Oxford, one of the world's greatest historians, could say this, I've been used to many years to study the history of other times and to examine the weight of the evidence of those who've written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind that is proved by better, fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose from the dead. Lord Darling, the once Lord and Chief Justice of England, you got to love that name, Lord Darling, said this, No intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. 
Dr. Frank Morrison, a lawyer who'd been brought up at the feet of such well-known atheists and skeptics, such as Oxford professor, professor Matthew Arnold and biologist and evolutionist Thomas Huxley, both of whom openly denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Morrison went out to, I uh, felt he owed, him, owed it to himself and, uh, and to the others to write a book showing the lie about Jesus's resurrection. And in looking at all of the evidence, he came to the exact opposite conclusion and writes his testimony in a book called Who Moved the Stone, in which he defends the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anthony Flew was a famous atheist who later, later on became a theist or a deist, not yet born again. And he said this, the evidence for the resurrection is better than four claimed miracles in any other religion. It is an outstandingly different in quantity and quality. Dr. Gary Haberman, a colleague of uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, both men did their doctorate study in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Gary Haberman said this, he did a survey of over 1,400 articles published over the last 25 years dealing with the resurrection. And in his survey, 75% of the scholars who dealt with the subject of the resurrection argue for the favor of the historicity of the empty tomb. And there was nearly universal agreement concerning the appearances and the origin of the disciples' belief in Jesus's resurrection. And so looking at all of this from great legal minds, the burden of proof is not on the Christian. The burden of proof is on the critic. And as we as Christians come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we affirm today that this is not made up myth or folklore. This is not something that we've created to give ourselves tingly feelings on the back of our neck or something that we could write songs about to sing around the campfire with Kumbaya or something that on a rainy day we could put in with a Celine Dion song about the Titanic and say, my heart will go on and Jesus, your heart goes on. This is not something that we have made up, but it is historical fact that if you are a fair inquirer, you will conclude that Jesus is alive. The resurrection is real and the resurrection is relevant. If I were to say Jesus is alive, amen, 95% of the room would echo with amen. Jesus is alive. Amen. <clears throat> but so what? <laughs> so what? Is it pertinent to me today? Yes. It's relevant to you today. And we need to be reminded of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, 10 of which I'm going to share with you today. The question isn't so much, is it true, but is it relevant? You can prove it, but people don't give a rip. Why does it matter? Christianity is bound up entirely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Other religions are based on systems of thoughts. Buddha can be a different dude. Muhammad could be a different guy. But at the heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. His death and his resurrection. The empty cross and the empty grave go hand in hand. When the apostles would preach, they would teach on the crucifixion. But right behind it would be the resurrection. They are two sides of the same coin. After all, the empty cross is not good news without the empty grave. C.S. Lewis says in his book, God in the Dock, 
The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, that which is uncreated and eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe and rose again, bringing nature up with him. It is precisely one great miracle. And if you take that away, there is nothing of Christianity left. The resurrection deals with humanity's deepest and greatest needs. Number one, Jesus is alive, so what? So, he's always been in control. The resurrection demonstrates God's wisdom and his love and his power and the justice of God. It was God's plan through before the foundations of the world. Not something that God just came up with. And in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, you see the first gospel preached to Adam and to Eve of what Eve's seed would do to the head of Satan, not only in the crucifixion, but in the resurrection as that son stands in victory. The first gospel, the proto-evangelium, was preached there in Genesis chapter 3. The first gospel was preached there. The plan had already been made way back then. Man chose once to sin. And God said, bam, here is my plan and I'm setting it in motion now. I am giving my son so that you can have relationship with me. God's in control. God has had a plan that the son would die on the cross, but that he would rise again. And in Luke 24, 25, after Jesus is resurrected, talking to two on the road to Emmaus, he says this, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study. Who knows how long that Bible study went. But as Jesus was there, he started in Moses. He started back in Genesis and he said, here's me, here's me, here's me. Here's God coming from his throne down to earth, becoming a man, living a perfect, sinless life, being betrayed by his friends, being murdered on a cross, actually having his hands and his feet pierced, dying and being buried in the grave. But three days later, rising again. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. The whole Old Testament was always pointed as the coming, suffering, dying and resurrection of the Messiah. God loves his creation and he didn't leave us without a plan of salvation. Jesus is alive. So what? So he's right about everything. Some theologians call Jesus' resurrection his vindication. Everything he said and did was shown to be true as he died and rose again. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Prove it, is what they're saying. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign, the proof that what Jesus was saying was true and real was that Jesus would die and be in the earth for three days, but on that third day, he would rise again. And if Jesus has risen again, everything he said is true. I have overcome the world, he said. That is true. I will judge the world. That is true. I have come to seek and save the lost. 
That is true. Jesus is alive. So what? So, there is assurance and forgiveness of sin. His resurrection shows us that the sacrifice that he made on the cross was accepted. It was good. Our faith is meaningless and we are dead in our sins if Jesus is dead in the ground in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 tells us that if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, it's worthless, and you are still in your sins. We have justification because of the resurrection. The gavel is slammed down in heaven by the righteous judge. And he says, you are forgiven because of the victory of Jesus on the cross and on the grave. Romans 4, 24 and 25 says, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered up because of our offenses and he was raised up because of our justification. Justification is just as if I never sinned. And because he's risen from the dead, Jesus looks as us at us just as if we had never, ever sinned before. The resurrection assures us of our righteousness, of our forgiveness. Not only does his death become ours, but his life becomes ours. Our wicked account is placed on him. And because he rose again and lives forever as Savior, God sees those who believe in him as perfect. Jesus was not just sinless, but he was completely perfect. And when we believe in Jesus, we are seen as perfect too. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7 says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. As Jesus was raised up, so were we raised up with him. We've been raised up together with Christ and we sit with him in heavenly places even today as the kingdom is already, but not yet. Jesus is alive. So what? So there is resurrection power for you over sin so that you can live in newness of life. As the hymn we sing so often says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. There's resurrection power over you. Sin has lost its grip on you. Ephesians 1.18, the end of the verse says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that was worked in Christ there in Jerusalem 2011 years ago or something like that is available for you in Crook County today. You can walk in power and you can walk in victory. Amen. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus died, we put our faith in him and we too die with him there. But as Jesus rises from the dead, we through faith rise with him from the dead and live a new life here on earth. Romans chapter 6 verses 5 through 6 says that if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Jesus is alive. So what? So he will never leave us or forsake us even when we suffer. The disciples were living in fear for their lives there in John chapter 20. The door was locked. They were afraid of the Jews. The Jews are coming after us next. They thought, if my leader is dead, I'm dead too. What have I been living for these last few years? But Jesus came and he delivered them from fear as he said, peace be with you. These words never carried so much weight. The circumstances didn't, ca- didn't change. There were still enemies of Christ out there looking for these disciples. But Jesus came into the circumstances alive. There was a competition where people were to paint a picture of peace. And the top two runners up were this. The first one, there was a pasture with all sorts of rivers and colors and sheep grazing and sleeping in the field. But the winning picture was a waterfall with all sorts of dying and craziness and fish being crushed by rocks and animals drowning in the midst. And yet up in a tree was a little bird's nest and a mama bird with her little chicks underneath her wings. This won the prize. People still wanted to kill the disciples, but they weren't alone. They had Jesus with them and they were underneath his wings. See, the only thing that you need to fear is this, the wrath of God. It's the only thing that can destroy you. But Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 20. He says, lo, I'm with you always, (coughs) even to the end of the age. Amen. When you're suffering, how do you respond? This is when the rubber meets the road, when people bail on you, when you get the bad news. You know, Jesus didn't say these things wouldn't happen, but he said, I'll be with you when they happen. I'm alive. I'll be with you. Even though Paul was alone in Rome towards the end of his life, he writes in 2 Timothy that all had forsaken him. In 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense before Caesar Nero, no one stood with me, but all forsook me may not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. Even in our deepest trial, our darkest 
moment when all of our friends and family forsake us or are unable to be there with us. The Lord stands with us alive. He strengthens us. He's our living high priest. And Hebrews 7.25 says, He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Jesus, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Not only are we not alone, but we have a prayer warrior on our side. Jesus always lives to pray for you. Jesus is alive, so what? So, we too will rise from the dead. Death has no sting. We enjoy people and love people and hold them so close to us. And then death comes in like a flash and takes everything. It causes anguish and sorrow and despair. Death wasn't intended by God, but is a result of sin. Death is an enemy, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And it's always had the final say. Woody Allen said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. It has a sting to it. We don't like to talk about death. Those who are young, we think it's so far away. It's a long ways off, but the Bible's realistic. The Bible talks about death. But he says Jesus comes and gives us life and shows us that death doesn't have the final say, but Jesus has the final say. And there in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul's able to exclaim, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The rubber meets the road when you watch someone die. remember being a 19-year-old young man and watching my dad convulse with his final breaths and his final muscle movements. And I remember being there as a 19-year-old saying, you know what, I would not want to go through this experience without Jesus and the assurance that my dad will be with him. And there with my uncles and my grandparents and my mom and my sisters, we shouted out worship to God in my dad's final movements. I see the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Though the death may seem like a mountain, Jesus conquered that mountain. And the hope of the resurrection brings us tears today. This morning and last night, I was just so overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus is alive. And this morning, I'm in the bathroom and I'm sobbing in my bathroom, shouting out with my hands in the air, You are alive! You're alive! And you can only die well when you understand what you gain through death. There's an explosion of a worldview in our lives when we understand that He is alive. And we look at everything in our life through the cross. And we look at everything in our life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John says in his gospel, Jesus says, through, uh, it's written in John's gospel, John eleven twenty five, 25, when Jesus says to Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her this. Do you believe this? In the shower this morning with my son, we are singing out. For I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. 
We are singing out, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. And I knelt down there with my son and I, Son, do you know that you will live forever if you believe in Jesus? Son, do you know that though you might die, it'll only be once and you'll live forever with Jesus if you believe in Jesus. And Russell and I had one heck of a choir going on in that bathroom this morning. The bathroom was my sanctuary, as it often is. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and He will present us with you. We too will rise from the dead. We too will be resurrected and presented with the saints. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, said, Eternal life is disgusting to me. And you know what? If eternal life was just the same as life here, but it just lasted forever, then I would have to agree with him. But Jesus is the one who makes the difference. We will get to be with him who's the source of joy and hope and life and peace and kindness and goodness. And Jesus says, get ready because I'm going to provide all good things for you, but they won't be tainted with sin. We will be resurrected and we will be with Jesus who created all things good. And he makes things so good in the end that it will be better than if horrible things never happened to us at all. Revelation 21.4, this is the, the last bit of the Bible where we see the new heaven and the new earth. And it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Have you ever heard that before? There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. We're on 7 out of 10 here. Jesus is alive. So what? So we'll see him again. John 14, 19 says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Acts 1, 9 through 11. Now when he'd spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him up out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he was ascending up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come down in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is alive and we will see him face to face. Jesus is alive. So what? So there will be a coming judgment. The resurrection enables us to stand before God in that judgment. Why do I need to stand before God? According to Jesus, it's not if you'll stand before God, but when you'll stand before God and how you'll stand before God. He claims to be the judge over the whole world and all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. And he holds the keys of David, the keys to Hades and to heaven. <coughs> he judges the living and the dead, the just and the unjust. 
You know, people like the incarnate picture of Jesus. Jesus, you know, white boy with, you know, blue eyes and a, and a blue sash around his body and walking around Galilee. People love that. The birds chirping. But sometimes people don't like the picture of Jesus in his glory that we read about in Revelation, who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and he slaughters all of his enemies with it. He has eyes that are a flame of fire and a robe that has been dipped in blood because he is the righteous judge and he will judge with perfect judgment. Now that is both a wonderful thought and a terrifying thought. Wonderful because there is justice. There is a standard. And we in this world, we long for justice. We long for the wrongs to be made right. Terrifying because we are guilty and we are part of the problem. And we have the kernel of sin deep within our hearts. If you hate your brother, Jesus said, you've murdered your brother. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with that woman. If you've coveted something, you're an idolater. And we are undone. Nobody can stand before this righteous judge. Psalm, judge, Psalms 130 verse 3 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And the good news is this judge, this God who sees the guilt of humanity is rich in compassion and love and mercy and came to save us from the effects of our rebellion. That effect is death. He came to end suffering without ending us in the process. And on the cross, you see God in Christ absorbing the debt of our sin so that we wouldn't have to. There will be a coming judgment for the Christian, this is called the Bema Seat Judgment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciences. So we will have, if you're a Christian, you will be part of the reward ceremony in heaven. Well, you will receive rewards for the things that you've done here on earth. But if you're a non-Christian today, you will have a judgment of condemnation. We read about that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in these books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Acts chapter 17, we recently studied Paul in Athens in verse 30, he said, truly, these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. And he has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked 
While others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. He will be the judge and it's proven thus because he's alive. Jesus is alive. So what? So you should believe in him and live for him. As Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. The Lord has raised Jesus from the dead. John chapter 20, verse 31, Kevin read it, speaking of the resurrection account. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, (coughs) the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. How do you have this life? Through faith, through believing, through trust, through resting in Jesus. There in John chapter 20, we read of Thomas and his doubting. And how when Jesus appeared, he said, hey, put your hand in my side and put your fingers in my nail holes. And as Thomas did, he answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said, man, you believe Thomas because you've seen, but many will be believing even though they haven't seen. There will be a group of people over in Crook County one day and they will believe and they will jump and they will shout and they will rejoice even though they've never seen it with their eyes. But they believe in faith. Finally, Jesus is alive. So what? So there is news to tell. There is much news to tell. We have a mission to bear witness of this resurrected Jesus People see what our mission is when they look at our schedule and when they look at our wallets, when they look at our lives and the way we conduct ourselves. When anything that is good is done in our lives, we point to Jesus. We've been empowered for this mission by the Holy Spirit before Jesus ascended. (coughs) He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that you could be witnesses. And some Christians in this room today Act and live as though the tomb is not empty, but that there's a corpse, there's a pile of bones over in Judea today. There's no purpose in their lives. There's no purpose in your lives. Let me make it personal today. You are slacking off. You are not doing what was commissioned to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, Paul says, stop sinning. And start witnessing. He says, awake to righteousness and don't sin. For some do not have the knowledge of the truth. I speak this to your shame. He says, wake up. People are perishing. They don't know Jesus. They go to hell every day. And some of you aren't doing anything. Wake up. Stop sinning. Sin grieves God and stops us from the mission. May you be woken up today. May you quit saying, oh, next Easter, oh, next Easter, oh, next Christmas, oh, in a year. No, this Easter, live for Jesus today. He's alive and he's coming back. If you were to divide your life up on a pie chart, God doesn't want a piece of the pie. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of you to be all for him. He wants you to be gospel minded. He wants you to be on mission. As C.S. Lewis wrote in the book, From the Weight of Glory, 
It's a serious thing, says Lewis, to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship or else in horror and a corruption which now if you, if you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It's with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Knowing this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. Knowing this, we persuade men. We're compelled to tell people about Jesus. We've been given a mission. The tomb is empty and there is news to tell. Stuart and the band, come on up. You can set your things aside. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love and to heal and forgive. <coughs> He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. And as we close in song today, we want to respond to this shocking reality that Jesus is alive. And the crux that we seem to see in Scripture is that the response necessary is belief. And so today, as we sing out to Christ, today, maybe for the first time, you will declare your belief that He is God. <coughs> and then He came and He lived among men. He was rejected and despised by the people. He was murdered on the cross, not for anything He did, for what we did. He was buried in the ground and three days later rose again only to ascend to the throne room of God 40 days later. And today you would put that belief today into faith. Saying, Jesus, I know you did all of that for me. The whippings that you took on your back, you did for me. The crown of thorns you took on your head, you did for me. The blood you spilt, you spilt for me because it should have been my blood. And Lord, the life that you live, you live for me. Today, Lord, I receive that new life. I receive that resurrection power. And Lord, all of these implications that we went through today, I receive them for me. I receive them for me, Lord. And I thank you for the new life that you give. And today, if you believe, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. Do you believe this? And today you can say yes by standing right where you're at. If you don't believe it, or maybe you believe he's resurrected, but you don't care. You don't want any of the things that we were talking about. You just, you just, you despise the message 
then just don't stand. But if you want all of these implications to be true for you today, and you receive them today, you stand right where you're at as we close in song. And this last song, I just felt all morning, even last night, that this last song, it is a song of victory. And this is going to be a song that we will shout. This will be a song that we will clap. This is a song that we will be charismatic with the seatbelt today. We are going to rejoice that our Lord is alive. And there is no shame in, in shouting or in clapping or in jumping. We are, we are overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus is alive today. Don't distract people by, by doing your own thing to where, you know, it's just it's out of control. But you know what? Let's be happy. Let's be joyful. <clears throat> this is the order of this song is clapping and rejoicing and shouting and rejoicing in the victory that he's won. And so if you believe today, you stand right now where you're at and sing with us. Yeah. Uh-huh.
it. Maybe for the first time, you receive that victory, you receive that new life that Jesus paid for you, that he's given to you freely. And just today, I'm going to have you just come up here. Right now, just come up to the front. Just say, you know what? I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living for stuff. I'm tired of wasting my time. Jesus is alive. Uh, There's implications for it. I'm not doing anything for him, and I want my life to be completely his. I want him to have the pie chart. And maybe today that's the first time, and that's awesome, and we rejoice with you today. And I want you to come up here if that's for the first time. Nothing to be embarrassed, man. We just rejoice with you. And maybe you're a Christian, and just today you're like, I've been, I've been squandering it. I've been wasting it. I've, been, I've buried the treasure that he's given me in a field, and he's going to come back. And I'm be like, it's been in the field. And he's saying, well, unbury it and get the treasure out. Show people the treasure. And maybe you're a Christian today, and just today you're like, you know what? Today, this Easter, this day we celebrate the resurrection. I want that resurrection life. I want to walk for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. If that's any of you, just respond today. I want you to just come forward here. I want you to just make a declaration. Jesus is alive, and I'm walking in the life that he's, he's given me today. Walking in the life, and this will be a sense of baptism. We don't have a baptismal. I wish that we did. This will be a baptism where you'll just come down here and you'll just stand here and you'll say, It's me. I want it all to be Jesus's, none to be mine. Today it changes. Today it changes. We're gonna sing just one more time through and just come on up and, and we'll pray for you as you come up. Christ is risen from the dead, trembling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. And
hands as we pray. Just keep coming down if that's you. There's no shame. There's just no shame whatsoever. Jesus is alive. It's like this is the first day, and we look at him like Thomas, and we put our fingers, and we touch, and we just say, my Lord, my God. And if just today you're just like, my Lord, my God, what can I do but believe? What can I do but rejoice? You come down here right now as we pray. We're going to pray for all these who have just stood, and I was standing. I wasn't down there for anybody else. I was down there for me. There's too much at stake, and Jesus is alive. I don't want my life to be wasted. I'm praying for myself, too. Lord Jesus, today, as these people have come forward, some of them new faces, some of them young, Lord, we just we rejoice that you are resurrected. We see, and we're astounded, and through faith, even though we don't see you with our eyes, we believe, Lord. We say, my Lord, my God, and Lord, we receive just all that is implied through your resurrection. Lord, we receive the victorious life. Lord, we receive the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we receive the, the, the standing that we have before you in judgment, not in condemnation, but Lord, in a rewarding judgment. And Lord, we say, as we stand here today, and Lord, as others who stand not up front, but in their seats, Lord, we just say, we can't wait to see you face to face. Lord, don't let this life be wasted. Don't let another day be wasted. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord. Breathe on us, just as you did there on the disciples. And empower us, Lord, for the, for the mission. There's much to tell. Give us lips and a voice to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Give these people a hand and come forward. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.